0: welcome to the herd is calling podcast we've got a really special guest here today we've got ty yazi all the way from Pal butte oregon <laughs>
1: yeah ty uh let me get this right he owns sea bar sea ranch in Pal butte mm-hmm. where he raises beef cattle and he also raises navajo churro sheep and angora goats yes he's a
2: busy guy yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. thank you for having me i been mean, Long in the making, so yeah, I'm glad that we can finally actually do it. I raise <laughs> Red Angus and Herford Cross for cows, and then Navajo Churro, sheep, and Angora goats for fiber. And you
1: have horses, too.
2: Oh, yes. I also breed a few horses, and then I raise it to, to raise and kind of put out there in the world, I guess, or I kind of keep it for myself. But I also uh, take on behavioral issue horses and kind of work with them and... I wouldn't even want to say rehabilitate but just kind of figure out them Mm -hmm. and maybe it's the wrong fit of a owner or miscommunication so I also do that on the side Mm -hmm. as well.
1: Yeah so we were talking earlier and I just want to jump right into this. We were talking about horse training. Yeah. And you made the distinction for me mm-hmm. that you don't consider what you do, do horse training. You don't consider yourself a
2: horse trainer necessarily. You work with horses. Yes.
1: Can you say more about that?
2: Yeah, and I I often correct people when they say that. Like, oh hey, they reach out to me. And they're like, and, you know, I heard that you train horses. I don't really train horses. I work horses. I work with them on more of an intimate level of connectivity and communication. A lot of the horses, like I said, that I get, have behavioral issues, whether it is maybe their bodies telling them something, they're out in their lower spine, they need chiropractic or many different things. And then once you get all those components in line, then you can start getting them to start working with them to actually fundamentally use them for riding or get them set up to go to their next level and that's where training comes in like for example i do endurance so i ride endurance all season my horses, you know on vacation for the most part for the winter hmm. and then right about now we get them back up and we start training them they're in training conditioning for that specific purpose and so you know and those that's i think that's kind of where the training aspect for me i don't really train them I work with them to get them to that point where people who do specific things where, say, for example, you have a reigning horse and it has behavioral issues or it's not doing all these things that you want to work out. I will work with them and work with you on how to, you know, be better at that, how to get the horse more responsive and cooperative. And then once all those things are good and you can handle it for yourself, then you take them to a trainer that specifically does that type of stuff so mm. yeah
1: so what i hear you saying ty is you're a, a relationship expert <laughs> <laughs> with yeah. is that for the most part for <laughs> lack of better <bad> words yeah <laughs> yeah well i think that's so important because you have to have the foundation you said you even said the word intimacy there's a level of intimacy, there's a level of knowing, there's a level of relationship that has to happen first before we can learn the skills, maybe.
2: Exactly. There's the, a level of connectivity uh, and relationship because if you can't get your horse in the horse trailer or you have a problem, say, for example, a racehorse. If the racehorse has a problem getting in the box before to get started and then you send it in there to start running without addressing the foundation of the issues then you're wasting your money Mm -hmm. and then you're you know like if you send them to a trainer to start training to become a good racehorse and you don't address the actual issue then what do you have Hmm. and so that and that'll always that'll blow up at any given point so if you can if you have a relationship and you're connected to that horse in the foundational steps then once it's ready to go up again or to, I guess, to raise itself up or, I don't know, how you say it, I guess, train mm-hmm. for a specific purpose, reigning, then you're more likely to utilize your money in that aspect and you're not wasting the horse's time. Mm-hmm. So.
1: Yeah. No, that's, I mean, having the basic needs met, like if you even thinking about kids in school, mm-hmm. human yeah. mm-hmm. kids, I mean, if if they're not having kind of a base set of, Needs taken care of, they're not organized enough mentally, mm-hmm. emotionally, even spiritually to receive education, to yeah. receive information mm-hmm. and kind of move to the next level yeah. of whatever it is they're learning about.
2: Definitely. And then, kids, or even us as humans, adults, we all have that same foundation that we need in order to thrive when we really start to raise ourselves to the next level of mm-hmm. education or training or basketball, football, sports, right. so.
1: Yeah, and so what you were talking <clears throat> about in terms of training was more like the way we think of training an athlete or how an athlete trains for something like conditioning, training the body, starting to really work on the skill set that's going to create achievement in the specific sports exactly. or event that you're going to do. Exactly,
2: and I think... We lose that in horsemanship, particularly for people who just want a trail horse. You're not really gonna train because I've worked with a lot of people and when they brought their horse over, we do a rundown, we do an introduction, tell me about your horse. Tell me about you and what do you what would you like to do? Where where do you want to go you know, with this horse? And training is always the word that comes up and I just want them to be trained for a good trail horse. Well, for a good trail horse you don't need a horse trained, you need that connectivity. And hmm. that a relationship, the fundamentals of like a good trail horse are the basis of a good horse that you send to training. Right. Hmm. And so I think we often don't really make those connections. And a lot of times we tend to send a horse to a trainer and expect it to come back and you're ready to put your quarter in and go. Right. I can train a horse to lay down for me but it doesn't do you guys any good when you get the horse back if you don't know the fundamental foundations of connectivity and communication. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So then you're looking at yourself going, I don't have the instructions on what was, where this horse is at. Mm-hmm. You start creating these problems again that you go back to the beginning and you're like, well, I don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. That's why I say I work with horses, specifically in that connectivity and communication.
0: Yeah, I love that. That's a huge distinction because when I first met Victoria, she was a horse trainer mm-hmm. and she would get established this relationship we're talking about with horses. People would come and get the horse, yeah. it would be great for a little while. <laughs> But, you know, it didn't last. Yeah. And it's because they weren't committed to the relationship part. And and I'm wondering what you think, because a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about this. There's a lot of responsibility on the person, right? It's like mm-hmm. Caesar Milan says he trains people and rehabilitates dogs. You yeah. Don't know if exactly. you ever heard that? Yeah. Exactly. That,
2: that's it's, a perfect it's, way of it. That's yeah. of it's pretty good, right? Yeah. 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 yeah.
0: But you had said that like you refuse to even work with people and horses if they want to sell the horse later, if they're just trying to get it ready to sell, because that's like a lack of trust and bonding, I think you said. Yeah. And and then you had said earlier about the intention of the person and their their why, mm-hmm. beneath the why kind of thing. And I was just wondering if you could share a little bit about that, like yeah. the human yeah. responsibility part.
2: Yeah. So a lot of it is the why. Like, why are you here? Why? Are, and I've heard you talk about it a few mm-hmm. times in some of the stuff that you, you guys videoed. Yeah, it's the why, you know? And it's not even horsemanship in general it's life in general why are you going through this like Mm. so then when you go through the pain or the grief or the sleepless nights and the stress of whatever it is you're doing and you keep asking yourself why if it's worth it then you're going to show up every single time Mm. same thing with horsemanship why are you what what, what's your purpose why are you doing this with your horse (laughs) what are you wanting to achieve and there have been a few people that said, oh, I'm not, how did I say it? For lack of better words to not be so harsh, I guess. They're just, they're not getting along with the horse and they want to sell this horse so they can get a different horse. Hmm. Well, you tend to start creating issues when you start thinking that way, which is fine if that's what you want to do. And if it's a mm-hmm. horse that's out of your element, and I have worked with people who love the horse dearly, but the horse needs more than what that person can provide. Hmm. And so then we have that topic, we have that conversation. And that is different than somebody come and say, you come to me and say, hey, I don't like this horse. I'm gonna get a different horse. Could you work with him so we can get him sold? Mm-hmm. That's, you gotta find somebody else that's on me. Yeah, Because connectivity and communication and a relationship, the number one foundation is trust and all that. Hmm. And if you break that trust, if we're working this horse and you connect with this horse and you have an established relationship with this horse just to, mm. like, ditch it. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Then that horse is no better off when it goes to the new owner. If you look at a kid and you do that to a kid and the kid gets jerked around from foster home to foster home or whatever else. Mm. Emotionally, they're a mess. Mm-hmm. And so the same thing applies with horses. When you just ditch them and all of a sudden they find themselves in a different area, a different scenario, a different person then they have to figure out how to adjust to all that that's where a lot of survival mode comes in
0: mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. i won't i've told people that i won't do that because <laughs> you know i feel like i'm betraying the number one thing is trust between the owner and the horse now if they said hey i have somebody interested and there was a purchase involved and i started working with the new owner mm-hmm. that's totally different mm-hmm. because that trust is still established it's just being transferred. Mm. So
1: transferred is a good word there. Yeah.
2: <laughs> so yeah.
0: Those are valuable distinctions
1: and good boundaries <laughs> yeah. and just and boundaries such too. An important, yeah. Like tiny little piece that's humongous mm-hmm. uh-huh. that I think gets left out. Like when you first told me about that, I, it was just like really shifting for me.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And I think the that's where a lot sense. of yeah. I think that's where a lot of us we don't have those clear boundaries. And they transform or they transfer into the writing yes. mm. where we don't have distinct boundaries of what we want or what we need, and so everything's blurred. Hmm. And so then you get mad at the horse because the horse is like, oh, well, yada, 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 you know, I could sit, I can stop and eat because I'm able to. Well, there wasn't any clear boundaries of no, we're not doing that or... Say, for example, you're trotting and then you want to go into a canter and the horse does this little (laughs) brrrr and, you know, and you're okay with it. If you're okay with it and that's your horse, you do you. But if you have that horse to, say, for example, it's a husband horse and you're okay with it, but the husband's not okay with it. So there's no boundaries, clear boundaries of, no, we're not doing that. And that's all displayed in working with the horse. And we all have to have those boundaries. We have to have those boundaries in our lives. And that's what I love about horsemanship, because if you apply apply horsemanship into your own life and how you do things, then maybe you won't have a toxic friend in your life. Because your boundaries, my boundaries are this. If I'm gonna hold my horse, and this is funny, because a lot of times we hold our animals to such high expectations. But, yeah, we look at ourselves in the mirror and, like, right. Uh-oh. oh, yeah, I guess we could do that. And, I, and I'm and i just as guilty, you know. But
1: uh, It's a journey. It's a process. It is a process, right?
2: yeah. But we shouldn't, our, our four-legged shouldn't suffer because wow. of our lack of high expectations on ourselves. But, we, yeah, we expect it on them.
1: Right. Oh, totally. <laughs> what you were saying about boundaries just reminded me of something I read in... Brene Brown's work, we're always quoting Brene Brown. It's a way to be more compassionate. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. when you've got a set boundary, you're not going to be resentful. You're yeah. not going to be acting out of exhaustion because you've blurred those boundaries or yeah. you put yourself out there too much or you've done things that don't feel good. Exactly. And so it's actually a way to be more compassionate and the research shows that people who have really good boundaries are the people that are the most compassionate and able to be at service to more people, more animals.
2: Definitely. And you know, what helps with boundaries is forgiveness because when you start forgiving yourself and realizing that that's not whatever you're doing is, or whatever you did is a toxic trait that maybe I shouldn't be doing this. And when you can forgive yourself, you start setting boundaries in that aspect or you're around a toxic friend and you really long time ago should have wrote a benediction on that friend we talked about earlier and it's okay to tell a friend we can still be friends but there's a boundary Mm -hmm. and the moment you start forgiving yourself for things and allowing yourself to grow then those boundaries become more clear and decisive like you don't even have to think about them it's like oh i forgave myself for this i don't want to put myself back into it Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and so (laughs) definitely transferring it onto a horse when you go into say the pin with a horse to work with more you get the halter and you're bringing them up to groom them so you can saddle them and go out for a trail rider there is a layer and a level of forgiveness that you have to have for yourself in order for your horse to connect to you because if you don't forgive and you don't allow yourself to let those things go mm-hmm. it transfers to the horse and you unconsciously take it out on the horse and I've seen that a lot with, and I'm sure you've seen it with the raining and stuff like that, mm-hmm. where your horse should have this expectation. And because you, like, for example, if I weigh 200 pounds, and I can easily like diet, work out, and weigh 150, but I want a top 10 in endurance, mm-hmm. if I'm making my horse carry an extra 50 pounds, then, you know, I should at least meet him halfway to a partnership. So a lot of those things are forgiveness. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to diet more, or I'm going to be a little more strict on my side because they're showing up every day. I'm getting after them because I know they have more of the potential. They had more potential when I was 150 pounds. Maybe not as much potential when I'm carrying an extra 50 mm-hmm. to try to do the same thing. And forgiveness is in a whole layer of different areas. But yeah, definitely boundaries and forgiveness is key. Jeez. Yeah. And
0: boundaries <laughs> for yourself too. No, Exactly.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the thing. It starts with yourself. Yeah. And, and it just creates this... This lack of doubt, this lack of gray area when you're working in your life, Mm -hmm. when you're working with the horses, that is just makes everything work better.
2: Yeah, Mm -hmm. definitely. And I feel like you're able to articulate more of what you're trying to do Mm -hmm. and allow yourself the time to do it too and not put yourself in this 15 minute cookie cutter. Well, this famous trainer that I bought the video to, no offense (laughs) to everybody, (laughs) but don't quote it like it's a Bible. Right. Mm. Because 15 minutes for that person isn't gonna be 15 minutes for you. No. Mm. Different person, different horse, different situation. Yeah. yeah, And so you have to allow yourself to mentally take notes and grow. What did I do wrong? Or how could I have done it better? More importantly, go up to your horse every day when you go and step into their space and say, forgive me.
1: Because mm. <laughs>
2: mm. that allows you to clear your mind and be in that moment and be present with your horse at that moment. Instead of, like, dragging all these things, whatever happened in the office or what argument you had with your kid or your other half or you're hurrying home from the grocery store and somebody flipped you off. And the horse is there as a connectivity and a relationship to accept what you bring in. But at the same time, asking for forgiveness. So when you do ride, because a lot of times a lot of it's miscommunication. Right. But we tend to put our horses in these little boxes of what they should do. Mm-hmm. And when it doesn't work, mm-hmm. sometimes we force them into it.
1: And that's when things get ugly. Yeah. That's when things can get
2: scary. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And so if we just allow ourselves to take a deep breath, and I, and I, constantly, I know, like, I'm not sitting here saying I'm the angel of everything. Same. I, yeah. Same. <laughs> yeah i'm just as guilty as anybody else well that's the
1: thing a lot of times the stuff that we start thinking about i wrote this journal this holistic horsemanship journal Mm -hmm. it's all very introspective prompts and i often tell people about how to show up for your horse how to be in the right mental space for when you're working with the horse and I often tell people, I wrote the journal that I need to be doing. Exactly. Right? So yeah, I
2: totally get that. And that's the same thing with me. I think one of my first horses that I ever bought for myself, I fenced 40 acres, so I lived in Winnemucca, Nevada. In high school, I fenced 40 acres for this horse because I couldn't afford $2,000. I still have her, she's 24 now. Oh wow. It was kind of a family event, like my whole family showed up and we all, my dad helped run the wire, the barbed wire and then we started putting staples on and nailing and then she was mine. The first horse that I worked and rode that nobody could sell out from under me. Mm-hmm. Quick story. So I'm from the Navajo Reservation. And we, I grew up, my parents would drop <laughs> us off there at my grandma's house at the ranch. In the summertime, I'd herd sheep. We work cows. A lot of times we rounded up wild horses. And then we'd get them, put a saddle on them, get on them, and stay on them. I'd yeah. be out there in the middle of nowhere. Anyway.
1: <laughs> Not anyway. That's like, that's like a whole other podcast probably. probably but yeah. But yeah, you can, you can go there.
2: <laughs> so every summer I'd get a horse and I would start it out and I would ride it all summer. I'd herd sheep with it. I'd do everything. And then by end of summer, when my parents would pick me up for school for the fall, my uncle would sell the horse because it was a good broke horse by the time mm-hmm. I was done with it. Mm-hmm. And so then when I came back in the next summer, I'd have to start all over. I'd have to find a horse out there and do the whole process over again. Mm -hmm. So this is my first horse that nobody could ever sell. And she taught me a lot, you know, when I thought I knew. There's one thing different from like a wild Mustang or wild reservation pony. I know we live really close to Warm Springs. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of Warm Springs Mm -hmm. horses. They're a lot different than the hotter blood bred horses. Like Mm. she was half Arabian, half Appaloosa. Okay. And she taught me a lot. Yep. When I was like, oh, we're going to do this. She's like, "Uh, no, we're not (laughs) going to do this. And I'm like, ah, you know? (laughs) Yeah. And that's where I met. My family used to say, oh, you know, Ty, your grandpa Sam is here. He's a Canadian Indian, Sammy Spahan. And he lived right around the corner from us. I was riding Kayla down their front down the road, I was right at the front house. She had this habit of lowering her head and not really fully bucking, but toying with my motions and would crow hop, crow hop, crow hop, and then throw her head and fling it around and just different things like that. And he happened to be outside at one time and he came up to me and he fixed, did a little bit of rigging and fixed my bit and everything. He told me I was using the wrong bit. It was a Snapple bit. Mm -hmm. And he goes, oh, she she can pull it sideways And so she doesn't really have the bit in her mouth no more. And that's why she raises it up. So there's no connectivity in the mouth. And then the minute she lowers it, you know, it kind of spits it out. Mm -hmm. And so he he took me into his barn and then he started looking around and then he hooked me up with a good bit. And then from that point on, I used to ride over there. We used to hang out. I learned a lot about farrier stuff. Really, truly training in the horsemanship style. I knew a lot of it, but the more finesse of things, I learned from him. Okay. Like I said, he's a Canadian Indian. Did a lot of rodeos. The Indian rodeos back in the, I want to say, 50s, 60s, and 70s. <laughs> when, wow. Yeah, when the rodeos were segregated, they didn't allow a lot of natives to do the true rodeos. He's just a fantastic horseman. He said growing up in Canada, there was a lot of vaqueros that used to go up there. Mm. And he learned a lot of it from them, too. Okay. So, yeah, this the horse, Kayla, She taught me a lot, and then I learned a lot from him about how to finesse things and how to structure and how to sit base riding. A little more dressage type stuff Mm -hmm. to allow the horse to connect and to carry and to move out and what that feels like. And Even more importantly, like when you drop your hip, what does that feel like to move out? Mm. Or when you posture or when you slide back. And I don't think a lot of us that ride truly, I do this all the time. So when I'm sitting, I'll close my eyes and I'll think like the horse is going, and I want him to trot and lead up. And if you're thinking about the legs, and then it goes to this way, like this, what does that look like? What does that look like in your hips? And he always told me, ride with your hips. Because mm-hmm. wherever the hips go, your upper body's gonna go. You see a lot of these people that like mm-hmm. fly forward, or mm-hmm. because they're like this. Mm-hmm. And if you ride with your hip movement, and if that horse moves this way, your hips are automatically going to go with, and your upper body goes with it. It may like be a half a second off, but you're not going this way while well, the right. horse is going that way. No,
1: you're right. I mean, dressage is all about balance mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. and center of gravity, and that's that space in your hips yeah. below, below your navel, and that's where the horses, where your hips are sitting. That's the horse's center of gravity. Yeah, exactly. I
2: often close my eyes and think of those things. What does that feel like for me? You know, when I'm asking the horse, if I'm envisioning the horse walking, what, is it, what are my hips doing? What does that look like for me? If I ask him to trot, what does that look like for me? What is my body doing? Am mm-hmm. I doing this or am I trotting? You know, and you can, mm-hmm. you can have a, see it right now. If yeah. I ask mm-hmm. the horse to pick up on the right lead from the trot,
1: mm-hmm.
2: you know, yep, totally. and then if you actually switch to go to the left, what is it doing? <laughs> your, your hips are actually shifting and moving. And then when you wax them to slot, stop, you roll back. And so, I think if we think more of those things, mm-hmm. when we get on the horse, it helps us to apply it better. That's what I learned from him mm-hmm. and, and Kayla, mm-hmm. my horse. She taught me a lot. What I thought I knew, I had no idea. And <laughs> she was like, you're dumb, you don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> and then she would correct me, and I'm like, oh, okay, sorry. Mm-hmm. Again, forgiveness. Mm-hmm.
1: Right.
2: I'm sorry, and I learned that from her. Like forgiveness. Oh, God. There was a lot of times I was so frustrated, and I just wanted to like. And then I'm like, oh, you know what? She's teaching me, mm-hmm. and I said, I'm sorry. And she's like, okay, where do you want to go? Right. Let's go do to- it. Wow. Right. You know, and just like, and she was the one that like, things change at the moment. She's like, all right, you want to go over there? Let's go. And she would go anywhere and everywhere I asked her to do mm. to go. God, Anna, that's crazy. and I learned the concept and I think through her too I truly learned the concept we talked earlier about tribal horsemanship mm-hmm. what does it look like what does that look like for me as an indigenous person as a Navajo or even like a Plains Indian or the Warm Springs you have to think about like what did horses what was their existence and how did it relate mm-hmm. to tribal or different tribes mm-hmm. you look at the Bedouin people mm-hmm. It was the same purpose through raiding or warfare to regain or to gain more territory protection. I often chuckle, and it's a really good, valid question. When one of the questions was about when it's windy, what did you, right. how do you? And it's, I don't mean to be disrespectful. No, no,
1: this is beautiful because so the question was, what do you do when it's really windy? How do you get your horse to focus? And that's something we hear all the time. Yeah. And then your take on it was just brilliant.
2: Yeah. And I get that all the time, too, with people mm-hmm. I work with and with their horses. And if you think about the function, functionality, is that even a word? It's functionality? Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. I, often mit, I often make up words just so you know, too. Me, too. <laughs> Me, too. But um, <laughs> when you think about the functionality of the horse, especially when it, in retrospect of Indigenous people, they were, like, even in Lakota, they said they, were, they used the dog until they got the horse. And so they call, in Lakota, Big Dog. They could go places further. They could hunt with them. Hmm. They could wage war. They could get family members back from raiding and kidnapping. And so that was the main purpose. And they didn't really worry, but they were out there riding in all storms. When soldiers came, they got up and go, they just go, oh, sorry, soldiers. I don't mean to disrespect you. That was a perfectly valid question, mm-hmm. but you know, When it's blowing, you just go with it. And so I think a lot of times we have to be the leader. You're still going to go work with them, but maybe your expectation isn't what you normally would do. You narrow it down to your expectation of what you can succeed in and just do that and call it good. So you're giving the horse a more positive experience with the wind. Exactly.
1: If some of the things you're talking about in terms of native horsemanship and Mm indigenous-based horsemanship... Like a lot of these situations were life or death. Yeah, and and that is how critical the partnership and the relationship was to between the horse and the human. Yeah. Fast forward to where we are today, where the horses are overfed probably underworked don't
2: have a purpose don't
1: really we don't know what we're doing with that horse yeah we just go out and see what's gonna happen and then if any of the conditions are a little more challenging that's just gonna create just so much more friction for us to have to work through because of that lack of clarity yeah and nine
2: times out of ten it's in your head Mm -hmm. it's in the horse owner's head i've ridden horses and i've saddled up even when it was windy and I rode, I went through cows, I did mm-hmm. stuff, and trail ride, horse was fine. Mm-hmm. Take the horse back, and they get it. And then I get a phone call of, it's really windy, and I went to go saddle my horse, and my horse was, like, looking around everywhere, and like, okay, take a deep breath. I said, why don't you just lunge your horse around and leave it at that, and then let's schedule sometime next week when it's windy, just be available. When it's windy, let's go for a trail ride. Mm-hmm. BLM, soft sand, so if something happens, I will ride your horse. I'll bring a horse that you can ride so then you can see mm-hmm. so then perspective and it's amazing when they see their horse performing in that situation they're like oh okay no big deal mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. their perspective changes and mm-hmm. a lot of times that's what it is and i'm not saying that is for every single horse sometimes horses are just naturally skittish because of selective breeding or trauma that's happened trauma that's happened or they're looking to the person for, as a leader because they themselves yeah. as a horse are definitely not a leader Mm-hmm. And so they're like, uh, if my person's just leading me to like, not like this wind, then I sure don't like this wind I mean, either. And it's a self-fulfilling mm-hmm. prophecy.
1: The second you ask mm-hmm. yourself, ah, maybe I don't like this wind and my horse is probably going to be a little spooky today. Yeah. That's exactly what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But like you said, taking the client out with the horse and the client being able to see the horse be okay, mm-hmm. that's a powerful visualization yeah. mm-hmm. that hopefully they can carry.
2: Definitely. On. It's the same with spooking on the trail. So you have a horse that, you know, whether its eyes are going bad or whether it's conditioned to do this because you've got a horse from a different person and they were spooked at everything. So the horse decided to spook at everything. I'm like, There's a rock. There's a log. There's a burnt something over there. Mm -hmm. There's a rabbit. It's funny because I have people like, well, I don't want my horse to spook at anything and everything. I don't want to be scared, which is valid. But I don't want my horse to react. You can't tell me to be scared of something because, you know, we're going to be scared of something.
1: Exactly. That's just who we are as humans. Mm
2: -hmm. And if horses are equivalent to humans in the mindset, the only thing... In my belief, the only thing horses have more than us is their ability to tap into something, whether it's spiritual or supernatural, that they can see beyond we can. But with that being said, a little side tangent we can go on Mm -hmm. later. Mm -hmm. It's not that I don't want my horse to spook. It's how my horse reacts to it. And it's four feet down, look at it and ask for permission, ask for guidance, Mm. period. (laughs) So when your horse goes, (laughs) like, what do we do now?
1: Then you have to have an answer, though. You
2: have to have the answer. You say, just Mm -hmm. don't worry about it. It's a rock. Let's go. Yep. And the more and more you do it, the more and more you go out, you're fine. It's when they flip around and take off the other way. And I always tell my oars, like, trust me. If there is something to run at, I will be the first one to (laughs) take you around and be whipping you to let's go. Until it happens four feet on the ground, please, and we'll keep going. Mm-hmm. And the more and more and more you do it, especially endurance horses, especially Arabs, who sometimes mm-hmm. are fed so much stuff that they're kind of basically cracked out of their minds. <laughs> yeah. They're like this. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And the more and more you can work with them and the more and more you become a leader that you prove to them, okay, four feet, ask, okay, we we'll keep going. We're good. And the mm-hmm. more and more you keep saying, okay, we we'll keep going, we're good. Mm-hmm. They'll start sidewinding like this. Mm-hmm. And then the more and more you keep doing it, the more focused and down the trail they go. So anyway.
1: No, I think I, I want to move on to some other things, but this is so great because I was just talking to some students the other day, the difference between desensitization, mm-hmm. which I am not a fan, and I don't even think that's possible. I think when you desensitize a horse, you're trying to take out of them. The thing that like is so fun about working with them is that we get to borrow that a little bit of that sensory experience yeah. having have. And like you even talk about it, it's like almost like a spiritual, like a whole nother deeper level of yeah. seeing the world. And so we don't want to do that. And a lot of times it tends to flood the horse. It tends to shut the horse down. And then later it's probably going to just creep back up out of context yeah. and in a much more kind of wild way that mm-hmm. is not handleable. So what I hear you saying is that having the boundaries Having the clarity, having
2: the connectivity,
1: the, kin- the connectivity, the
2: relationship. Yeah.
1: That is what we're talking about. Exactly. And then that's what creates the ability to move through the spooky situation yeah. or the windy day. Because then you
2: start, they start asking you, because they establish you as leader. So they start asking you for guidance. Mm-hmm. If you look at a herd, like a wild herd out, you know, out there in Timbuktu.
1: Wait, right down the road, right actually. Right down the road. <laughs> yeah.
2: Exactly. You have basically two horses that are on guard at all times stallion and for the most part the lead mare Mm -hmm. Yep. everybody else is eating and everybody else that's eating is waiting for validation from the other two Mm -hmm. that if the other two say hey something's coming with a split second everybody's on alert now yeah so if those two leaders you replace those two leaders then leadership is shifted but the whole communication is still the same they're still always going to ask you for guidance. And if you can establish that and connect and have a relationship of a family member like that, then they will continually keep asking you Mm -hmm. instead of saying, I don't have a leader and it's every man for themselves or every horse for themselves. Flip around, boat and take off. Bye
1: bye. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Hmm. Totally. And that goes back to leadership is service. Leadership is care. Leadership Mm -hmm. is responsibility. Definitely. It's like, that is a big responsibility. It's, we, we quote Spider-Man a lot with uh, Aunt May. Uh-huh. Um, with great power comes great responsibility. If you're yeah. asking to have control of this horse, if you're asking for this horse to oblige your requests, to pack you, mm. to take you somewhere, to be your partner, you've got to take the responsibility yeah. that goes along with that.
2: Yeah, definitely. And I, I've, I've always heard it as with great power becomes spe- specific obligations.
1: That's awesome. And it may
2: may have been from a movie, so. Right. But going back to Mm sensitization, I feel like basically it's another word for dumbing down. Yes. Mm -hmm. And for every Indian out there who has ever been in boarding school style, who, and I've heard stories from my parents, they try to learn English and they beat you if they hear you speaking your native tongue. And so same thing with, I grew up left-handed, but I had some teachers who were like, no, use that. My parents even said, no, you use this hand. And it's almost like shaming. Mm-hmm. It's like shoving it in your face. And, and I always crack at people who like, the, the dog peed on the floor. So I'm going shove it, to shove it in their face right. and then kick him outside. I'm like, what does that do? Mm-hmm. Because one, they're like, oh, it catches them in the moment. I'm like, no, you didn't catch them in the moment. So you're going to like shove it right. back in their face. Mm-hmm. And you're just making them scared. And so the next time, they're just going to piddle all, all the way to the door. <laughs> it's
1: the but, shaming. It's the shaming. It's, you're
2: basically just throwing it in their face every single time. And I guarantee you, nobody, especially a kid, wants something thrown in their face every single time. Nobody wants a nag. You're doing it wrong, you're doing it wrong, you're doing it wrong, you're doing it wrong. And that's what you do when you do desensitization. Right. I'm just gonna keep throwing it at them until they settle down, until they make the right decision. Which sometimes, some things, it works. But for everything,
1: mm-hmm.
2: you basically have dumbed down that horse to the point where it shuts down mm-hmm. and it stops thinking. And now you don't have a willing partner. You have someone that's like, oh, I guess I'll do Eeyore. You have an Eeyore. Right. I guess I'm going to go do that now. Mm -hmm. I guess they want me to do this. And then if you go back to purpose of indigenous horsemanship, of warfare, and getting up and going, your horse is like, hmm, I guess I need to run up that hill. Well, when somebody's coming after you and they shoot you because your horse won't go, you're dead. And so, you know, that's kind of my day. That's what I've learned growing up from, you know, just on an a Navajo reservation, working with my uncles and my dad, and then my grandpa Sam. Just their take of, and I'm sure every single tribe has their different, you know, knickknacks and stuff, but it's the same concept. And how we work with our horse is what matters. And I think a lot of times we don't. We're so busy in our life mm-hmm. that we tend to blot out and I do it for myself, too, because, you mm-hmm. know, I mean, especially when I'm calving or I have a lot of times I get my horses up to start working them again. And then I have people come up like, I have this horse. And I always tell myself, I'm not taking any more client horses because I need to work my own horses. And then I'm like, I feel bad for the story. <laughs> and oh, no offense, because I love every single one of my clients. But I'll put my horses back out faster and then I'll start working those horses. And sometimes we just need to, like, consciously say, OK, these three hours, mm-hmm. these two horses... And leave it at that. Yeah. And not even have a goal. Just connect. Mm -hmm. Brush them, love them.
1: Brush them, love them. The connectivity, whatever that looks like in any given moment. Because that can be different. But yeah, the not having any expectations. I just saw something from one of Dominique Barbier's books. And he's a French classical dressage maestri. He's amazing. And he talks about when you go out into a session with your horse and you've got all these expectations how do you think that feels to the horse yeah like how do you, what kind of pressure what kind of so best to just do little things that are gonna feel like wins that mm-hmm. feel good and and the horse will catch that the horse will pick up on that yeah but going I mean expectation is kind of like just the worst yeah
2: and I feel like you have to know your horse too, you know, almost like you have to know people because, mm-hmm. and there have been horses that don't want to work too hard, but then the horse goes crazy because they eat it up. That's their thing. They
1: like, they want to work. They yeah. want to work mm-hmm. and they want to go.
2: And so then at some point when you connect to them and you have a relationship with them, you know, mm-hmm. like doing these, say for example, we're going to condition and go up this hill halfway. And if that horse is looking at that and they're halfway and they still have a lot of go, let them go. Mm-hmm. Let them utilize that potential. Mm-hmm. Don't try to stifle them because then they're like, you're cutting off their expectation. Mm-hmm. And then when you're ready for that expectation, it's not there.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, the horse knows the horse the best. Mm-hmm. So the horse knows what he can do. Yeah. When we kind of say, oh, no, no, it's cutting off that whole, like the whole point of working with the horse or riding the horse up the hills to mm-hmm. let the horse take himself up the hill.
2: Yeah. 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 I have a friend who she does reining mm-hmm. and cow work and does really good with competition-wise. And she has a filly that she bred and raised from her mare that she did competing on. And this horse is bred for cows. And she is bred, like, she gets on, she goes in the arena, and that horse works for her. Mm-hmm. And if she cuts it off too soon, that horse starts acting up because that horse wants to do it. Mm-hmm. That horse wants to be there. Mm -hmm. within reason you cater that you nurture that Mm -hmm. yeah
1: nurture is a good
2: word yeah Mm -hmm. and you start working with them in that aspect you don't just cut them off and say okay we're done Mm -hmm. because because I got to go and she and and this is what I love about her too like if she has a two hour time frame she's going to do like a 45 or to an hour expectation of a training session if the horse is sticky or needs some retuning She has an hour to work with it and to kind of work with it a little bit more and then keep going. You know, a lot of times we have a two-hour expectation and we only have to give ourselves an hour or an hour and a half. What's going to go wrong? Everything's going to go wrong. And Mm -hmm. then you're sitting there, I got to go, I got to go. And then you you start rushing, your heart rate starts beating. And then it just becomes two people or two beings hitting a wall.
1: Two activated nervous systems that can't regulate at the most basic level. Yeah. But, yeah, I used to do that, and I'd have just enough time to get a horse worked between, like, another lesson or something. Mm-hmm. And and I just would sometimes get digging into something that I didn't really have time to dig into, and
2: that was a mess. And then it becomes a bigger mess when you bring it back up the next Oh, time. totally. Yeah.
1: What it... Boiled down to is I didn't take my responsibility my leadership to heart I put that horse in a position where they yeah. didn't trust me anymore yeah and that was always really hard and talk about forgiveness you have to be like okay sorry exactly. so me, next time you get, yeah
2: next time you bring the horse up brush him and talk to them and say hey mm-hmm. could you please forgive me mm-hmm. I need forgiveness for myself because of this mm-hmm. and then you start clean slate nine times out of ten the chances are the horse won't it's like, okay, cool. Right. What do you want to do today? So.
0: Yeah, you brought up forgiveness when we had our anxiety class. Oh, uh-huh. and you, you brought that up. You were like, hey, you guys should be talking about this <laughs> probably. <laughs> and to me, it was like, oh, that. That's kind of, to me, it was almost like this sticky thing that was kind of hanging out over there that I wasn't super keen to check out at first. Mm-hmm. But I knew, like, I just knew you were right. So I looked at it. I looked into some of the stuff, some of the research. It was fascinating. Yeah. It was really fascinating. When you are able to do a forgiveness practice, alpha waves in your brain spike. Oh, wow. Yeah. The author that I was reading, he said the scientists in the lab was like this big biofeedback lab. Um, mm-hmm. All, all the stuff we have to do to like understand forgiveness. <laughs> you yeah. just do so naturally, <laughs> but you just got to your horse.
2: I'm kind of one of those bossy people <laughs> and I'm also a Scorpio. And I kind, of, oh. kind of laugh because if any Navajo out there is watching this, I'm a Totocini and they say the Totachini's are very, very bossy and nitpicky in particular which I kind of can be a lot <laughs> so forgiveness definitely works for me and it helps me go further hmm. and I've had to learn that for myself and that's why when they were talking about every, you know what you guys were talking about on the mm-hmm. podcast or was it, it was a class class yeah, yeah mm-hmm. I was like oh yeah I've been out there' I'll, you know and that's why I chimed in I said you know there, there has to be a layer or a level of forgiveness with all that too because if you can't forgive yourself, then you're gonna drag it into your horse. I'm the same way. If I can't forgive myself for not meeting my expectations of what I thought my horse mm. and I should do at that moment, then the horse is gonna feed off of me. And then it's just gonna be a bigger a ping pong, back, mm. and forth, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, and then it's just gonna keep raising and raising and raising until something blows. And chances are I'm probably gonna end up on the ground. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. forgiveness allows you to kind of just take a deep breath and say, okay, Let's start the celebration. <laughs> and nine times out of ten, when you do that, the horse is like, oh, thank you, you're listening. Uh, so this really hurts when you do this. So can we just try something else? Or, you know, and what a lot of times, going back to taking on problem-issue horses, a lot of times, too, it is that they are lame or that they are out on any chiropractic work. And they were just trying to tell... The writer yeah. hey this hurts hey i got a pinched nerve hey you know mm. and so we address those issues too a lot of times too it'll correct itself like the behavior is gone mm-hmm. if we just learn to take a deep breath and forgive <laughs> ourselves and say okay so what are you trying to tell me how how can we work this because this is our goal this is what i would like to do this is how i'm gonna do it where are you at in this <laughs> and so mm-hmm.
0: yeah Beautiful. The scientists in the lab said that when people do this, and the practice was forgiving other people who Mm -hmm. had done things to you, so it it was pretty intense for people because it can bring up a lot depending on the severity of the thing that was done, but that the people that were able to do this had an unexplainable string of good luck Mm -hmm. afterwards. And every time that you talked about forgiveness, it was like, I have to do this to, like, make the thing even possible to yeah. happen. And yeah. I thought that was really neat. And the seeing and being seen part, too, it's like by asking for forgiveness, you're acknowledging that you missed something or maybe did something wrong or whatever it is. And just by acknowledging that, it's like you're forming that connection. If I heard you right. It's yeah, like,
2: Definitely. And I, think, and I think we talked about this the last time I was here. And I guess what really got me into this little avenue of thinking was my sister. She passed away, but in high school, she would get up and I would hear her alarm. My alarm would go off, I'd hit snooze. My alarm would go off, I'd hit snooze. My alarm would go off, I'd hit snooze. Her alarm would go off, she'd get up, and then she'd, she'd be in the shower. And so this one time I asked her, I'm like, how do you just get up? Like when your alarm goes off, how do you just get up? You know, she's and then she looked at me like she's like, I don't know, I don't even think about it. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> whoa, and I've always applied that to myself now. And even when I was working in the mining industry in Nevada, and I'd have to get up at like at one o'clock in the morning to get ready to either drive to the mine or catch the bus to get to the mine, mm. and I've always, I that always resonated, and so then I'm like, well. If that's the case when getting up, then maybe that's the case with everything in life. Like my horsemanship, it's like, if I just ask for forgiveness and let it go and not even think about it, because forgiveness should be, and I think we should all practice this with ourselves, friendships, relationships, partnerships, that when you ask for forgiveness, put it in a ball and throw it away. Mm -hmm. Throw it in the fire and burn it up. Because then at that point... You can't bring it up again. And so you're, if we ask our horses to start with ground zero with us all the time, hmm. even though a lot of it's our fault, but we can't do it in people's lives. If you start practicing that, you instantly start not even thinking about it. When you go back to, you know, we talk about horsemanship and you start living it versus a checklist that you have to try to mm-hmm. make. So, and then on top of that, sorry, no, not really horsemanship, but when you ask for forgiveness and you put it in a ball and throw it away and burn it, and it doesn't come back, you start to realize every time you have to burn a ball on certain people that like you start to question, hmm, maybe this person, this individual isn't really good for my life, so you start creating boundaries again, or in horsemanship with horses. When there's issues that keep coming up every single time, you start realizing that every time we forgive, and we throw it in the fire and burn it up, it happens again. So then you can isolate and say, okay, what's this one issue here and how do we work with it? Is it behavioral? Is it like mental? Is it physical? Is there something wrong that pinched nerve or whatever? Is there a Hmm. trigger that you were trained this way by the other person that owned you that didn't know any better? And so they just fed into this bad behavior. And so now you think it's so then once you start getting those, you start have isolating those issues. Then you can start really working on them and start kind of plugging in and out like a puzzle. Mm-hmm. So.
1: Well, it's a it's a way of detaching your stories or mm-hmm. sort of narratives around things. Yeah. When you forgive, when you throw that ball, of yeah. junk into the fire and it's gone. It's like you're starting from scratch. And even when you're working with the forest, I think a lot of times when I'm working with a student or for myself you maybe have to work through something that's a little bit tricky or you get through a little bit of a storm with a horse and then you get out to their side and then you start again. Mm -hmm. It's like you have to start with a completely clean slate. Exactly. And, but that requires vulnerability. Mm -hmm. And that vulnerability is the seeing and Mm. being courageous enough to stand up and say, Hey, this is not working for me. This is how that makes me feel. Set the boundary. Like I can't this isn't going to work yeah. moving forward. Let's move on, Yeah, you know? So it's all connected.
2: Definitely.
0: Mm-hmm. That's a masterclass <laughs> in forgiveness. Yeah, I was just reading about it again because it came up again. And I was like, OK, mm. I got into it after you brought it up before, then I conveniently yeah. dropped it. And so I was reading it again. And they said that self-forgiveness was like jet fuel. If you're talking about forgiveness, like forgiving others is really powerful. But yeah. when you forgive yourself, that's like the supersonic version. And everything you said was relating to that. It's just powerful stuff. definitely,
2: and I've learned it the hard way myself because I know I know who I am. I know what I'm capable of. I don't like it when I get that point. And so I have steps in place to like for forgiveness or take a deep breath or just different things like that. I have high expectations for myself, but allow yourself to fail and reevaluate. and then it just <laughs> it makes it so much easier. So then, when I do enter, the horse I'm working with, or my horses, it's almost, it becomes almost a sense of relationship and I guess counseling for me mm. to let go. Because mm-hmm. nine times out of ten, your horse is going to take it and say, okay, mm-hmm. it's okay, just take a deep breath. And you become part of the herd and you learn that your heart rate up is their heart rate up, your anxiety is their anxiety. And so when you, learn all those things you learn forgiveness and go okay i'm gonna let it go now your heart rate drops and they start to relax Mm -hmm. and it's the same thing when you're riding them and it's a scary situation Mm -hmm. you know you tend to just same procedures same steps of just relax take a deep breath Mm -hmm. and it becomes calm Mm -hmm. that's freedom right there